I V M. Hi, I'm Utsav, a behavior researcher by training and a slow traveler by passion. Postcards from Nowhere is a travel podcast where I condense a decade of travel experiences and explore not just the where but also the why and how to travel. My stories emerge from slow traveling the less explored parts of the world: Bosnia and Herzegovina, Armenia, Uzbekistan, and even China. At the end of each story, I give practical tips and new ideas about how to travel better. This week, in part two of the series, we trace the remarkable story of the condiment on a dinner table and how it built not one but two of the greatest civilizations the world has ever seen. In 1922, the tomb of Tutankhamun was discovered in the Valley of the Kings by excavators led by the Egyptologist Howard Carter. The child pharaoh Tutankhamun had died at the age of 18 in 1352 BC, which meant that the tomb was discovered more than 3,300 years after his death. And whereas the tombs of most pharaohs were plundered by grave robbers in ancient times, Tutankhamun's tomb was hidden by debris for most of its existence. and therefore not extensively wrought it thus became the first known largely intact royal burial from ancient egypt it became one of the most significant archaeological finds of the 20th century it turned out to be an unexpectedly rich burial with over 5000 objects it included cups of two vital ingredients used for preserving mummies resin and natrin natrin is a naturally occurring mixture of sodium carbon decahydrate and around 17% sodium bicarbonate along with small quantities of sodium chloride and sodium sulfate to egyptians a dead body was the vessel connecting earthly life to the afterlife eternal life ideally was to be maintained by the permanent preservation of the body and thus the practice of creating tombs and mummifying bodies one of the things which was often left over were copious amounts of food and it became a way to understand what ancient egyptians ate The upper class had a richly varied diet, including quail, stewed pigeon, fish, ribs of beef, kidneys, wheat bread, cheese, wine and beer. It also included salted fish and a wooden container holding table salt. In fact, for less affluent people, common salt was used in the mummification instead of natron. But that's not all what they used salt for. The ancient Egyptians may have been the first to cure meat and fish with salt. Salted fish and birds have been found in Egyptian tombs from at least 4000 years ago. Ancient walls show domesticated fowl being splayed, salted and put into large earthen jars. Curing flesh in salt absorbs the moisture in which bacteria grows. And salt in itself is very good at killing bacteria. Proteins unwind when exposed to heat and they do the same when exposed to salt. So salting has an effect resembling cooking. But the Egyptians went beyond curing meat and fish. they made the fruit of the olive tree edible the fresh picked fruit is hard bitter and unappealing but the egyptians learned very quickly that the bitter glucides unique to olives could be removed from the fruit by soaking in water and it could be softened in brine they also went ahead and invented braised bread around 3000 bc they developed wheat that could be ground and stretched into a dough capable of entrapping carbon dioxide from yeast this carbon dioxide raised bread and salt was a critical component in this process curing meat and fish making olives edible and raised bread 
Not only did these provide food security and surplus to the Egyptians, these were critical in the development of their economy. Salt by itself though valuable was bulky. On the other hand, products which could be preserved with salt such as fish and meat had much higher value when exported to the Middle East. Around 2800 BC, the Egyptians began trading salt fish for Phoenician cedar, glass and purple dye made from seashells. Phoenicians were people who were primarily from modern day Lebanon. They built a trade empire by trading Egyptian salt fish and North African salt throughout the Mediterranean. In the Old Testament, it's mentioned that Jerusalem fish markets were supplied from Tyre, a port city in Lebanon. The fish they sold was probably salted fish since fresh fish would have spoiled before covering the 160 km distance between Tyre and Jerusalem. In about 800 BC, when the Phoenicians first settled on the coast of what is today Tunisia, they founded a seaport Sfax, which still prospers today. Sfax became and continues to remain a source of salt and salted fish for Mediterranean trade. They also founded Cadiz in southern Spain and sailed to the Strait of Gibraltar and onto the western African coast. They were credited with the first alphabet, which is beyond Chinese and Egyptian pictographs. This further helped in opening up the trade in ancient Mediterranean. They used the camel to transport salt across the African continent, especially in the Sahara. In 1352, Ibn Battuta, the greatest Arab language traveler of the Middle Ages, reported visiting the city of Tagaza in present-day Mali. But it was no ordinary city, because the city was built entirely of salt. The buildings were constructed from slabs of salt and roofed with camel skins. In ancient Tagaza, salt was quarried and 200-pound blocks were loaded onto camels. They carried them 500 miles to Timbuktu, where goods from North Africa, the Sahara and West Africa were exchanged, making Timbuktu prosperous. If you listen to part one of this series, you saw how salt built the Chinese civilization. In this, we saw how it was instrumental in the economies of the Egyptians, Phoenicians and the kingdoms of Saharan Africa. And one of its lasting contributions is the gift of the Mediterranean diet. Cured meats, olives and bread are some of the hallmarks of this cuisine, a diet which is considered one of the healthiest in the Western world. Humanity's ability to underestimate and take for granted the luxuries of modern age have always baffled me. Because for our ancestors, these were brought about over long periods of innovation and perfection. I've always found traveling to places akin to peeling an onion, where there are layers to peel off, and no matter how long you stay, there will always be layers unpeeled. This unpeeling is what we should seek, because then it's possible to find joy and wonder in things as simple as salt. If you like this podcast, don't forget to check out other interesting podcasts on the IBM network. You can listen to us on the IBM Podcast app or ibmpodcast.com. You can also follow us on our social media. We are at IBM Podcasts on Twitter and Instagram. If you want to reach out to me, I am Utsav Memory on Twitter and YB Travel 42 on Instagram.